Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Josh, how are you, sir? Season finale tonight? Hello. Always good. Season finale. Yes, it is. And what better way to end than with a company that started in 1880 and that's still around. Looks pretty good for 1880, you have to say. He does look pretty good. (laughs) Good thing it's radio. We welcome to the program Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. Welcome back, Ross. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back again. Now, this is Ross's uh, second visit to the program. And in 132-year history, there's a lot to tell. So it was an easy request uh, to bring him back to hear a lot more. Now, the last time we were here, we heard a lot about the history. But, you know, the furniture business is not an easy one, certainly in today's economy, whatever. So really, a lot of the focus today is going to be on what do you do today? And where do you look for tomorrow? Entrepreneurs really know that it's not about the historical. It's all about looking forward. So while we're going to kind of come back into it and talk a little bit about the history, because you can't escape 132 years without talking a little bit about uh, the, the, the three previous generations, um, we'll get into what are the challenges today and what's tomorrow and what are they doing to overcome those. So Ross, welcome, and maybe a little bit, if you're able to condense the last 132 years, or at least (laughs) 130 of them, uh, into a few minutes, tell us kind of where this business started and where you got into it. Okay, Josh, uh, Fraser Furniture began in in 1880, way back when. Uh, My great-grandfather and his brother uh, set up a business, uh, actually in the auction business, so they were Auctioning, auctioning off the contents of uh, Montreal's estate homes, which would include fine art, uh, jewelry, um, glassware, and, of course, uh, fine pieces of antique furniture. That's where it began. Uh, the business ran as a, an auction business until the uh, probably the 20s or 30s, at which time they also in, uh, included uh, used furniture uh, in, the, in the furniture store, so they're also retailing at the same time. And uh, then when my dad joined the business after the war and after a quick uh, stint at the Harvard Business School, he decided to take the business in the direction of of new furniture, uh, searching the world to find fine designs of quality pieces that he could bring back to Montreal and and market to the Montreal consumer. Uh, I joined the business uh, in 1983 at a time when my dad's health was beginning to fail. Uh, I had spent uh, six years with Sears Canada in Toronto to get a, uh, have a good training ground in the retail environment. I came back uh, to join my dad, and uh, after, unfortunately, only a couple of years of working with him, he had a serious uh, a stroke, which uh, left him unable to communicate. Uh, I took on the, the, uh, the uh, reins of the business and worked with his experience management team to continue to develop our our business as we move forward. Was it difficult to step into his role right away? Did people have the confidence in you? I think I was very fortunate that I uh, did gain some very valuable experience elsewhere. Uh, my dad's uh, management team and board of directors were very aware of my successes uh, in Toronto with with the Sears Canada. And so when I arrived in the business, uh, I think they were very happy to to see a new pair of eyes and some outside experience to to try and uh, and execute some positive changes as the business was moving forward. Now, Fraser Furniture has been in its location for many years, and I know we're going to talk about today very shortly, but location has to be important, certainly from your business standpoint. I mean, people have to know where you are. They've got to come to you. You're the one offering product. 
How did you get to this location? Was it by osmosis? Was it planned? How did you get there? Well, our original business used to be uh, just south of Place Bonaventure, Bonaventure on Inspector Street uh, and uh, St. James in, in, in uh, the center of town. Uh, with the construction of the uh, Bonaventure Auto Route uh, for Expo 67, uh, the building was expropriated, so we were forced, uh, my father was forced to look for a new location. And he chose, uh, he chose the area uh, around uh, Jean Talon and De Carry uh, because it was the meeting point of all of the major uh, thoroughfares in the city. The 40 and the Côte de Lies and De Carry all met at that corner, so we had easy access to, you know, to the consumers in, in communities all around the city. So that's, that's how we ended up in that area. Uh, we used to be, uh, our main store used to be on De La Savane, on the other side of DeCarry, and I purchased our current building, which is on Devonshire Road, uh, just uh, just west of DeCarry on, on Devonshire, and it's uh, it's been a, a terrific uh, location for us to, to consolidate all of our businesses in. I would imagine with the area, I mean, if you look around that area, it's filled with, you know, the decor industry, that, that furniture, the fabrics, that whole industry that's around it, notwithstanding with what goes up other places. Have you ever thought, uh, is that your location to be at? Absolutely. What's interesting, when we first moved there, we were the only ones. It was, uh, it was a, an industrial park uh, filled with some plants and uh, uh, some manufacturers and other things. Uh, since then, in the last uh, five years especially, over 70 different businesses in the interior design and decor area have moved into the area. I take it as a compliment. I think they're there because we drive a lot of traffic into the area, and I think it's a terrific thing for us and for the other people in the business. Uh, it's great to have uh, lots of options in the neighborhood. It brings people into the, more and more people into the neighborhood and enables us to. Our, our our goal is to get them into our store. Once they're in our store, we're sure we can uh, totally impress them with our service and our selection, and we have a very good chance of. Of, uh, of delivering them some, some wonderful pieces of furniture for the future. So you feel comfortable having um, people co competing with you opening up shop next door, for example? Absolutely. Competition's a great thing. I'd much rather they come into our area and have some good options as opposed to uh, going to some of the other areas of, city, of the city where there are lots and lots of different furniture stores. I'd much rather they, they stay in the neighborhood and hopefully come back and see us uh, very soon after. Well, you know, it's, it's so much history condensed in just a few minutes, but the understanding and the and what an entrepreneur can learn from his previous generations not only his own experience is huge to help him in today and tomorrow and when we come back from the break we're going to talk about where's fraser furniture today where are their plans today and where do they see themselves going tomorrow today's entrepreneur continues Welcome back, 718 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmore, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening, Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. And uh, this business, as we were saying earlier, since 1880, Ross, and if you're owning a business that's, that's established like that, how do you market yourself? How do you reinvent yourself? And has Fraser Furniture sort of um, had the same image all along? Has, has, have you stuck with one, one uh, line of marketing? Well, I must say uh, the reason, one of the reasons we have been uh, been able to stay and remain uh, strong and growing uh, for so many years is the fact that our business has constantly evolved to meet the changing needs of the marketplace. Uh, there's no doubt about it that the the client is changing, the world is changing at an incredible pace today. So it's never been as fast as right now. Uh, but it's very important. We're constantly looking at 
what the consumer is wanting and looking for and trying to adjust ourselves accordingly. Uh, last year, as a matter of fact, we, we uh, did an intensive uh, uh, work, uh, lots of work and headaches and, and challenges to totally rebrand and reposition our business uh, for the years to come. Uh, it was a very exciting project, and basically we, we felt we needed to reposition and rebrand ourselves to be relevant to today's younger consumer uh, who, are, who are looking also uh, in large part for more contemporary furniture. So we have readjusted our image, and we are, I think, uh, showing a very, very interesting and exciting face to the public. It must be actually quite a challenge to take this 130 years or 125 years of history and of what the public knows to be Fraser Furniture and come out and be a little more youthful, a little more of today's contemporary. How, how, do, you know, how involved were the people? Did you use an outside source? Did you come up with the idea yourself? Where did that all stem from? This was a, an incredibly... Uh um, complicated uh, collaborative effort uh, between our, the members of my management team and and uh, our outside uh, advertising agency uh, group Rinaldi. Uh, we spent a tremendous amount of time studying the market, studying the consumer, studying the reactions to our to our existing brand at the time, and we basically decided that it would be a perfect time for us to to rejuvenate the entire image and re redo our entire store to reflect uh, the furniture that, that the consumer today is looking to buy. Uh, we, we certainly continue to cover uh, the, the traditional market. We have an incredible selection of traditional goods, but we've brought our newer and younger goods up front, and uh, it's interesting because um, a lot of our traditional clients come in our store now, and they love what we've done. It makes it's fresh, it's young, and makes them feel younger, and they continue to to support us and be loyal to us, and they're very happy with the transition we've gone through. Is this a, a transition that everybody was on board with? Is this something difficult? Is this a philosophy that was difficult to impart with the great talents that you seem to have in your store? I think any time you undertake a major change, uh, it's going to be a challenge for some people. As we know, in an organization, coming up with the ideas of change are in the overall scheme of things, fairly easy. It's it's uh, convincing and putting that change through the entire organization. That is a challenge, and certainly we've been we've had some challenges with people that uh, don't necessarily understand where we're going and why we're doing it. And uh, certainly, we're moving forward in the most positive way possible, and uh, we will be very successful with with this plan. I'm sure. Is this something, I mean, your management style, is it more autocratic? Is it more, what, what would you classify your management style to be? My management style certainly, I think, is, is very democratic. I, I, I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of experience in many areas. My uh, director of sales and marketing, my, uh, my director of finance uh, have some very interesting opinions also. We reach out to a lot of the experts in the industry to actually assist us in finding the proper the proper focus for our future. So um, I, I, I would assess my management style as being quite democratic. I feel that uh, if we can put a lot of strong minds in the same room, uh, the decisions we come up with will be much better than what I, might, what I might think of myself. You know, Dan, we see time in and time out entrepreneurs, the successful ones, realize what they're not so great at and what they, where they need the help. So to understand after so many years, and we're talking a century plus, to realize that 
change. You need a little bit of help to get there uh, where they've where they've solicited that help and know that it's out there so that they can get it. Uh, I think it's definitely the, the characteristics of a successful entrepreneur. And we were talking about human resources and talent before. When we come back from the break, we'll see kind of how that talent has stayed with Fraser over the years and what the next steps will be. Today's Entrepreneur with Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. It's 7.23 on CJAD. Welcome back, 7.25 on Today's Entrepreneur. Our guest is Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. And uh, we're talking about the challenges, Ross, of marketing a business that has been around since 1880, uh, continuing to innovate. And uh, I learned that you guys are now into social media, and you're even on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Tell me about that. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting, uh, Dan, the, the, the whole marketing thrust of a retail business today has, has evolved dramatically. And while we still make use of traditional media such as radio, newspaper, magazines, billboards to promote our brand and special events around our store, uh, more and more of the budget each month is being, uh, is being set aside and put into the new social media uh, categories. We have, a, we have an outstanding website to uh, at FraserFurniture.com. Uh, we have a, a very active Facebook page. We're very involved in Twitter, and we're getting very involved in the newest, uh, the newest trend in, in the social media, which is Pinterest. And all of these, uh, these media allow us to interact with our customer, with our potential customer. The days of, of advertising being a one-way communication, an advertisement to a consumer, have changed. Basically, the, these other media allow you to interact directly with your customer um, and with the, with the target market. Uh, the operative, operative word today is engagement. Um, we're striving to create uh, communities of interest, uh, which is groups of people with similar likes who uh, choose to associate with brands that fit with their values. And that's something we're working very hard to do, to, to create exciting content that will keep us connected with potential consumers. What does a 132-year-old company say on Facebook and Twitter? Uh, we are tweeting and uh, sending messages about the exciting happenings in the store, about uh, things that are happening design-wise in the world of design, new trends, new ideas, new merchandise that's arriving, trips we've just been on, all kinds of exciting things. The, the, the various social things, uh, that uh, the charity things that Fraser Furniture is involved in, there's lots of ways that you can promote your brand and allow people to understand better what your company is all about. But essentially, at the end of the day, somebody's got to come in and feel that couch. They've got to sit in that chair. They've got to see that table. They've got to touch that wood. Is that, so is your goal to drive them towards a store? Is it visibility? Is it all of the above? It's all of the above. I mean, it's really important to us to get bodies into our store, to get prospective consumers to come in and take a look at who we are and what we do. We have an incredible selection. We've got 80,000 square feet of fine furniture from around the world, whether the consumer's taste is traditional, transitional, contemporary, modern, rustic. We have an incredible selection in all of these categories. So basically, our social media is trying to allow customers to understand who we are, to know about us, and to hopefully drive them into the store. Uh, we feel we have an excellent opportunity to, to, uh, to provide some, some furniture assistance to them if we can get them into the store. Now, is this something that kind of struck you in the head? Is it, how did the social, how did you get into the social media? Was it an outside source that brought it to you? Did you say, hey, you know what, we just got to get on board? And did you get on board early enough or too late or soon enough? 
That's a very interesting question also. Um, at my age, uh, social media certainly was not at the top of mind uh, personally, uh, but fortunately, uh, my director of design, Carol Alfieri, brought to us a, a world of experience in this area and a tremendous interest in the potential that can be driven based on social media. So between my director of sales and marketing and uh, our ad agency who provided, provided us with incredible technical support on all of this, we were able to, I think, structure a very, very effective means of communicating with the potential customers out there. Some of the challenges finding content for the social media and making sure there's enough out there, do you have trouble getting that content or is that why you're outsourcing? Well, content is always a challenge, but uh, in a business like ours, uh, things are changing constantly. New things are coming in constantly. We're involved in new things constantly. So the content is there. It's just finding somebody to to put it all together, take the time to put it all together, put it in a concise way. And that's that's got to be the big challenge in any business with any entrepreneur. It's one thing to say, you know what? My business has so many things to say and so many things to add, but how do you take that information? How do you document that information? How do you get it on those social networks? How do you create that content to make sure it spans wherever you want it to go and how to get it, and how to get it there? A huge challenge. And, and when we come back, we'll continue to talk about today and a little bit about tomorrow with Ross Fraser. Ross is our guest on Today's Entrepreneur. 7.33, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit, the Drafts Quebec business, Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, and our guest this evening, Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. And Ross, we, were, we left on social media. Now, it kind of brings me to the question, you know, technology, that's such a great advancement and such a great tool, yet absolutely requires, and in any business, but absolutely requires the right response and the right response time. So has that been difficult to manage and is it getting the people on board? Do you outsource it? What do you do to manage that response time now that you're out there in all the social media? Well, that that's an interesting point because, um, you know, all of this uh, information that's flowing around, uh, you have to be able to respond uh, and make sure that you're keeping the proper message out there. Um, there is certainly support uh, from our agency, et cetera. They have, they have a specific person that manages our Twitter and, and what's happening out there in the, in the cybersphere. Um, so it, it's very important that you stay on top of it. You can't uh, set up a Facebook page and not, not be there constantly, be constantly monitoring what's, what's going on and what's being said about it. And it's, it's very important that somebody's there to respond and create the positive buzz that your business requires. And you haven't abandoned traditional marketing techniques, correct? I mean, you're still going to trade shows, you're still listing in, in whatever print media or whatever. What on the traditional side is still working for you? I think a combination of many things is still working. Uh, when we uh, executed our rebranding uh, last uh, October, uh, we took out billboard ads because we wanted to get it out there and allow people to see the exciting changes that had gone on with our business and the exciting new uh, new image that we were portraying. Um, radio and newspaper are certainly effective ads for, uh, for um, uh, sales events and, and things to drive traffic into your store, and we continue to use those. It's just that uh, the percentage of your budget that is going to those traditional media is getting smaller because there's more and more players. Uh, there aren't a lot, a lot of the younger clients who are reading newspapers today. They're all 
getting their news online. So we have to, you know, we have to consider how all businesses are changing. And a lot of the radio stations and newspapers have a digital side to their businesses now too. They're developing to try and adjust to the changing nature of the of the industry also. When it comes to trade shows, has anything changed? You know, your your North Carolina trade show, your Milan trade shows, ha- has that evolved over the years? Are you still seeing as many people going? Are people relying a little bit more on the, the virtual selling? Uh, what do you see on the ground? Well, I, I think that things are changing dramatically, although at our end of the business, it's really important uh, for us when we're purchasing and for a consumer when they're purchasing to come in and touch and feel and feel the comfort and see the finish of the wood and feel the quality. Uh, fortunately, we're not yet a commodity, so um, our to merchandise people still want to come in and, and, and make sure with what they're buying. Um, but I'm sure at the lower end of the business, a lot of it is now being done on the Internet because if it looks good and the price is low, they're probably able to just book it book it from a photo on the, on the, on the Internet. As far as we're concerned, we need to feel, touch, and ensure that the quality is at the Fraser level and that's product that we can uh, be proud to sell and proud to service. It it points me in the direction of inventory management, managing your stock, managing your goods. Has that too evolved? Do people expect a little bit faster turnaround? Uh, How has that worked in your management of your business on, because you're not selling little pens and pencils, you're selling furniture, you're selling larger pieces that require a lot of space and time and effort and lead time. And money. And money. So has that kind of changed and evolved with whatever social media marketing or whatever changes in the business with customers and suppliers? I, I think it has changed dramatically, but uh, there's still no no crystal ball as far as purchasing goes. We we travel the world and uh, look for the the finest, most exclusive pieces, the trend-setting pieces. We want to be the trend-setters in this market as we move forward. Um, so we are taking chances. A lot of it, as I said, uh, my last visit here, it's a lot of gut feel. Uh, we think that something has a look. It's different. Uh, the price is right. The quality is great. It's something that we feel our consumer will will be interested and want to purchase. Do you scope the world? How do you how do you gauge what's the next best thing? I mean, you're in a product, you're in a service business, and no question that you have to deliver the service to your customer. But they're out there for product; they want to find it first. Where do you scope out your product? Where do you? What are your techniques to get the right product in the store? Well, uh, we do a lot of research uh, on the internet internet to find uh, things that are new, exciting from various shows and various places in the world. Uh, we attend the Milan uh, Furniture Fair in uh, April every year, which is the world's finest furniture show. It's incredible. Uh, we were just there uh, last month, and uh, the show is enormous. There are 300,000 people for, per day that are visiting that show. No the, signs of slowing down. Incredible. And this is an economy like Italy that is struggling so much today, and the show was an incredible inspiration for us. Uh, it's a great place to see where the trends in furniture are going because... Things that are being shown over there over the next three to four to five years, they'll start showing up in North America from the North American manufacturers, and we certainly want to be there first and, and be the first to show those to our to our, the clientele here in Montreal. And you're very proactive in a sense that you monitor other industries as well, not just the furniture industry, in order to sort of establish what, where the trends are going. Absolutely. The, the, the trends in furniture, it's all related to the trends in color, the trends in paint colors, the trends in fabrics. Everything is 
is part of the same uh, the same wheel that's turning and uh, furniture often develops from these other areas it comes through and and eventually ends up in the furniture side of things so the various colors and finishes and fabrics that we see uh, you know might have been uh, coming out a year or two ago in various other industries so it, it's it's all part of the the process of, of creating beautiful things for the world so what's a hot new trend for 2012 2013 Hot new trend for 2012-2013 is a mix of, of uh, traditional woods that are done in a very contemporary fashion with uh, polished chrome and uh, uh, chrome uh, bases, some really, really interesting looks. Uh, the wood that we saw the most of in, in Milan was American walnut, which is a beautiful wood, not with a, a high finish on it, with a very natural-looking finish on it, very, very beautiful, um, something that would fit in in a traditional environment and a contemporary environment. You mentioned earlier that you were more a, for democracy in your business more than anything else. When you're when you're looking at these goods and, and wanting to fill product, do you check with your team? Do you check with your customers? How much do you involve your group when you're going out to buy perhaps some goods on, on speculation? Well, prior to prior to uh, leaving on any, any buying trip, uh, we ask all of our uh, design sales team to let us know what they would like to see us try and find. Uh, they are the ones that are dealing face-to-face -face with the consumer, uh, and they you know, they know exactly what we might be missing or what clients are looking for. So it gives us a, a nice shopping pre-list that we can go to market with and really try and fill some holes that we might have in our lineup and also to find some uh, new and exciting things that would be a great addition to our collection. Have you found that the suppliers that you've gone to has changed over the years? Have they kept up with the times, or have you had to change suppliers because some of them stay behind? Uh, there's a lot of all of that. Uh, the, 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 the strong and successful suppliers today have evolved dramatically over the last 10 or 15 years, and we've, we've evolved with them. Uh, some of the companies that have not evolved are feeling, are feeling the, the pain of that at the moment. Uh, the, the, uh, the world is changing fast, and if they're not changing with them, uh, it's a very difficult thing. So we, we continue to uh, to seek out constantly new suppliers who are coming out with new and different things and different ideas. So we're we're, we're constantly trying to find things that that, that make sense uh, to bring in to to excite and uh, and involve our clients. And certainly today's economy can't make it easy. You know, people are very you know with their money today. If they have it, they're they're very picky on what they spend it on. Do you find today's economy tough and how are you dealing with it? Absolutely. Today is, is a very challenging economy, I think, for all retail businesses. Uh, I think we're very fortunate that we uh, went through that uh, total rebranding and refreshing of our business last year. Uh, so we're in a very, very good position today. I think consumers are coming to us for new and different things, and, and we're well positioned to look after them. Um, how have our suppliers changed, which was your, your previous question, uh, um, uh, a lot of them have changed dramatically, and uh, it's very interesting to walk into, uh, you know, to a supplier, and the sales representatives uh, give us their 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 pitch of the showroom, and they're all uh, dealing with iPads, showing us the, the the catalogs on iPad. Everything has become quite high tech, and it's it's the way we're moving as a retail store, also for the future. Now we talk about 132 years in business, your fourth generation. Is there a succession plan going forward? Well, first of all, I hope I don't look that old. <laughs> it's radio. You look yeah, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, 
at, at the moment, uh, there is no specific uh, succession plan in the family business. Uh, these things, uh, you, you can never really tell how they may work out. Uh, all I can tell you is that we, we have a very strong and young management team that are working very hard and successful as possible. If and when uh, the time is right and one of my three sons is interested and capable to uh, to get involved in the business, I would be very pleased to uh, to to give them that opportunity and 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 give them the chance, perhaps, to run a fifth generation business in Montreal. So you do look ahead a little bit to say, well, what's next? Even though you're you're still a young guy and you still have a lot of idea and a and a lot of energy, there is somewhere down the line where where I guess it's, you'll have to think of the next step. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that that I think in any family business, uh, it's it's something that is in the back of the mind. I, I'm. Uh, although I'm I'm moving ahead in age, I feel very young and surrounded by some some very very uh, talented and exciting uh, young management team. I, I'm in I'm in very good shape to to uh, move this business forward for for many many years to come. And and as we see with many entrepreneurs, Dan, it's a lot about the people who you surround who who are surrounded by the by the entrepreneur. Uh, or the entrepreneur surrounds, of course, I'm getting the words mixed up, but it's looking ahead as well, and it's looking at what the next succession is. And after the break, when we get back, we uh, we have that topic right on hand. Nick Moraitis, a tax partner at Fuller Landau, on that subject. How do you pass a business along to your kids? We'll get to that in a moment on Today's Entrepreneur. It's 7.48 on CJD. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, and our guests this evening, Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. And we bring into the conversation Nick Moraitis. Nick is a tax partner at Fuller Landau, uh, Fraser Furniture, family business since 1880. So we're going to talk about passing on businesses, Josh, to that next generation. And sometimes it could be complicated. And when you're fourth generation, you know, there's a lot of people that say, great, we'll pass it on to the first generation, a little bit, little bit less success or less chance of them continuing. And as you get to the fourth generation, like, is this really possible? But it absolutely is. But the question becomes, how can you pass it on to the next generation? What are some of the challenges and maybe tax efficient ways to do so? And that's where we bring the guru Nick into the conversation, as you say. So Nick, perhaps you can enlighten us a little bit. On, uh, on how best to take it from here. Well, well let's start the, probably the simplest way, which may be not be the, the best way. Um, that is simply to buy the business from the parents or from another relative if you're involved. Um, one um, unfortunate rule, because you're in a family situation, uh, that the tax authorities uh, insist is that uh, between family members you must deal a fair market value. So if, if Ross decides today uh, that he would like to sell uh, the, the business to myself, we're not related. We can negotiate whichever price. And if Ross is motivated to give me a, a lowball price so he can go away, uh, he can do that. But if I was his boy, you couldn't do that. They would be subject to review. So that's one not so good thing. Uh, one positive thing, though, if, if the child is making the bid to the parent, um, there's a special 10-year reserve. Uh, that you can defer your taxes on over 10 years if the child says, listen, uh, mom and dad, I'm going to buy your shares. I'm going to pay you over 10 years. Uh, the law will allow the parents to defer and pay their taxes over that 10-year period, which you cannot get within, in any other type of situation. Um, the not-so-good thing, unfortunately, in the family um, succession, which is a political issue as well because uh, the government does want to support entrepreneurs and family businesses, but for some reason the, the tax laws don't work very well. Again, Ross, if you sell the business to me, I'm a stranger to you, you have a capital gains deduction. 
that you can uh, pocket up to 750000 capital gain per individual and, and not pay taxes. Uh, it doesn't work very well in a family situation, uh, and the government and the law will probably force one of us to pay taxes whether we like it or not. So it doesn't uh, uh, incentivize a parent who want to sell down to the child. So that's the simple, I guess, way of just having a, a junior or the daughter come along and say, let me buy you out. Is there a planning ahead thing? I mean, this isn't something you do at the last minute, I guess. Finding the successor amongst the children and, and, and the interest, but it, it can be... Uh, something if the parent hasn't really done the planning, and especially if the, uh, the, 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 the parent hasn't been willing to let go and, and think down the road as to what you have to do, that sometimes you're forced into this open buy-sell situation, which is not what we like to do. What we like to do is start talking uh, to the current owners and say, okay, if there is a possibility for the family to come in and take over, let's start doing some estate planning, some estate freezing. Let's start uh, looking to see who uh, who could be out there. Let's start introducing family trusts that gives the parents the opportunity to say which of the children are the ones who are going to be the new leaders and, and go forward with that. And that is uh, that is really the bulk of, of planning in the family situation. Was that ex- your, your experience, Ross, when you took over from your dad, although there was a bit of a health issue uh, with your dad at the time? Well, my dad was very involved uh, for years with CAFE, the Canadian Association of Family Enterprise, uh, who were, um, you know, gave him the idea that uh, that at a certain stage when I was involved, uh, unfortunately, my dad's health didn't allow him to do it himself. Uh, but with uh, with his uh, his experts uh, beyond that, we we did execute uh, soon after me taking over uh, a freeze of the of the value of the company, so that any future growth was was growing in my names in order to limit the uh, the tax implications upon upon uh, my dad's passing. That's right, and that is uh, something... My, mother, my mother's passing, excuse uh, me. And that is yeah. actually something that uh, we can start planning uh, as soon as the, the, the owner starts to think of the succession. It doesn't have to be that there's a successor right there. In many cases, like in yourself, you have your three children. Maybe none would be interested, or maybe one will be interested in several years from now, and that the planning really is to start now, and with that uh, future being uh, your goal at the end. Absolutely. So that is something that we do look at. Um, for parents, however, there is a question of cash flow, which we always have to be. It's something else for the parent to go, here's, here's the keys to the business, and thank you very much. Uh, there, there is a wealth that's been created. The parent still needs finances to survive. And then uh, a very uh, another issue with parents is, well, in your, just like in your case, Ross, there's three children. Which of the three gets the business? What do you do with the other two? Mm-hmm. And how do you be fair to them? And that's when we have to start looking at life insurance. So now, so there's an issue of passing on to the children, but then maybe there's an issue of not selling to the children. Maybe you have a talented group within the company and you have a management buyout. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about selling it to the next best talent in the company. Today's Entrepreneur on CJD, it's 7.53. Remaining moments of Today's Entrepreneur on CJD, our guests, Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture and Nick Moretis, tax partner of Fuller Landau, are talking about uh, passing on businesses to future generations, or if you decide not to, then to, well, others. And what happens when it's others? What happens when it's a great talent and management team? What are the things that, that could be implicated? Well, and let me just uh, go back, and we were talking about doing estate freezes and all that, and, and the typical freeze today, especially for using uh, discretionary trusts, um, it's, it, the, the, the freeze is designed to go one of two ways, either passing down to the, to the children and taking over, or if that doesn't work, you're putting yourself in a position to be able to, to sell. 
um, and use it with the management buyout, it, it, it now becomes a, an arm's length transaction. And, and it's you're dealing with people who at least you know, and you have you have to have the faith that they can continue with the business. That becomes a lot more critical than selling out to a third party who may already be in the industry. And the second thing that usually comes in is cash flow. <clears throat> you're not talking about individuals who necessarily have millions sitting in the bank being able to pay you. They can put some cash down. There's usually balance of sales or some terms and conditions. Uh, so, example, the 10-year reserve that we were talking before where you can pay your taxes over 10 years doesn't apply when it's not family. The reserve is only five years, but that's something that's taken into, uh, into account. Um, you get into shareholders' agreements because sometimes you may want to stick around as a shareholder that you're only selling a portion of your interest with another portion down the road. You're now looking into shareholders' agreements as deciding as to uh, establishing everybody's responsibilities, everybody's rights, everybody's responsibility. I mentioned that. And what happens in case of death, disability, etc. So that's uh, with management buyouts. That's something that we start looking at uh, uh, carefully to do. So it's really about planning ahead. It's really about involving your advisors around you as well, because if you you have to know the tax law, you have to know the the legal ramifications, whether it's selling to the next generation or selling to some great talent. Absolutely, they're getting the phone call the day before the closing and saying, "Okay, now what can they do to save taxes?" And there isn't anything. Uh, the government's jumping up and door. The budget's coming. Uh, the deficit's coming down because you're going to pay your taxes. It's really looking at it years in advance. And, and setting this a system up that is flexible enough to hopefully move down with the, with the children and pass the business on to the children, or if necessary, selling out to management or to a third party. It's, it's really, at the end of the day, your exit strategy. The longer you wait, the more trouble you can get into. Thank you very much, Nick. You're welcome. So as we come to the uh, ending moments of the show, we'll, we'll turn back to Ross Fraser and ask Ross, what would be your words of wisdom to today's entrepreneur? Well, I would say that, uh, as they say, we live in inter- today's economy uh, is certainly not easy. Uh, there's some; it's a challenging economy, but I'll tell you, it's a really exciting time to be in business. And I think when you surround yourself with great people and you have good ideas and you're willing to change and evolve your business moving forward, I think the sky's the limit. And uh, there's a tremendous consumer base out there that wants beautiful things, and we're working very hard to find the beautiful things around the world and to market it properly to them. Uh, as I said, uh, we're it's a really exciting time, and with all of the changes that we've made recently, we feel we're really well positioned to move forward in a very positive way for the future. Excellent. And Dan, you know, as we come up to the last show of this, uh, this spring season, and I think back to all the entrepreneurs that we've interviewed in the, in the last many weeks and many months, there's a word that comes out and it's called leadership. And leadership is something that defines an entrepreneur, but leadership has so many meetings. The one that will stand out in my mind is knowing what you know, but even more important, knowing what you don't know. Understanding that you can't know it all. Understanding there are people out there that can help and that can assist in your business use your strengths. The entrepreneur will know when to use his or her strengths. That's most important. And whatever her weaknesses or his weaknesses are, go out and get that help and surround yourself with that talent. And that's what a successful entrepreneur is all about. Nick Moraitis, thanks so much for joining us this evening. And Ross Fraser of Fraser Furniture. And Josh, another really interesting season, as you said, with plenty of, uh, of wisdom to go around the table. Uh, so we'll see you back in a few months. 
back in a few months. Maybe a surprise episode in the summer. Who knows? All right, stay tuned. You can reach Fuller Landau during business hours at 514-875-2865 or visit www.flmontreal.com. This is News Talk Radio, CJAD 800.